If you've got a Bible, can you start turning to Acts um, 20, 28? We'll be reading a few verses uh, from there. I haven't got a PowerPoint. Um, in fact, um, we've just moved house, so all my Bible, my books, uh, my internet is all in boxes. So uh, fingers crossed. Um, if you're a visitor here today, then welcome. Uh, this morning we're going to be continuing our Believe series, uh, looking at some of the foundational doctrines and key issues around the uh, Christian faith and the church. Uh, we've also tagged this preaching, uh, this preaching series, if you like, onto our introduction course. So if you're new or newish uh, to Jubilee, or if you've never been on a joining course, a foundation course, an intro course, uh, whatever we've called it over the years, um, whatever language you speak, etc., please come along on the 9th of July um, at 7.30 at Melbourne. That's when we're going to be kicking off. So hear that. And if there's, there are people here that you do know that would be good to come on it, people who've, uh, who trust uh, in Jesus, who are Christians, please um, invite them along. Is that okay? Um, and so this morning I want to unpack something that we don't often talk about um, very often in Jubilee. Maybe briefly, Jeremy, I think, talked about it last time when uh, we made, um, when you made, when we made Sarush an elder here at Jubilee Church. Um, we should actually talk about it more, uh, I think, uh, more often. Um, and that is the issue of eldership in the church. Uh, what does the Bible say about how a church is to, uh, how a church is to be led. What, what does the government, what does the order, what does order look like in the church of God? What does it say in the Bible? I like how Rob said, we go back to the Bible. We went back to Acts over, over two years and said, what does it say in there? Because actually we very much believe that that is a blueprint for um, church leadership and government and church planting and the gospel going out everywhere. P.J. Smythe, who leads uh, the New Frontiers uh, Advanced Network, it's called Advanced Network of Churches, says this, a church can operate without a building, a church can operate without tea, uh, without all manner of ministries even, but it cannot operate without elders. Without these leaders of leaders, we will not be able to set uh, a sustained pace for successful world mission through planting churches, because you can't have healthy, vibrant churches without healthy, vibrant elders. That's what PJ thinks. And so really, I want to unpack, what I want to unpack this morning is, what does the Bible say about eldership in the church? Why is it so important? How can we, the church, support and encourage and grow this eldership team? Uh, and listen to this, that is as much your responsibility as it is ours. That's so wonderful about the church. I believe God is plowing uh, a very fertile soil here where eldership will flourish and thrive and fruit in Jubilee and go out everywhere where new elders will be added both from in the church, grown up in the church, and from out. Now, now, as soon as you say something like that, you'll be thinking, oh, who are you talking about? I don't know who those people are yet, but I trust God will reveal this to us when the time is right. You see, I believe God wants a team of elders and leaders here that has been different, different to what has gone before, very much right for the job at hand now and for the future. 
and actually robust enough, strong enough for the future that God is taking us. So pray for your elders' jubilee. Uh, I unashamedly say that. Pray, uh, pray for your leaders. There's nothing more encouraging. I remember um, the late Simon Pettit saying this at one of um, the Brighton conferences. He says, uh, there is nothing more encouraging for leaders than their praying church supporting, nourishing, encouraging, and loving them. Um, so please do pray for us. Let's read Acts, shall we? Acts 20, 28. Now remember, he's, uh, the writer of this is addressing uh, the elders of the church, not the lead pastor, not the minister, not the priest, uh, nor the elders of the church. That's how, he, that's how the Apostle Paul certainly would address the church. And this is what he says, keep watch over yourselves. Only a short passage, Acts 20, 28. Keep watch over yourselves. He's speaking to the elders. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you, the elders, overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. That's how serious it is. Um, uh, and, 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 and then it goes on about uh, talking about what some of those functions are and particularly talks about um, uh, guarding the church. So let's pray before we get on. Um, I just feel, as we, as we start this morning, I just want to before we pray about this morning, let's pray for the stuff that's going on in the world. There's, there's a lot of scary stuff going on, isn't there, with all the terrorist acts and stuff like that. So I just want to pray into that first and then um, and pray, pray within the church. Thank you, Lord, that you are in control. I thank you, Lord, that you are a God who uh, has all authority. All authority is in you. All knowledge and wisdom is in you. You know what, you know everything. You love us, and we know that because you sent your son to die for us so that we could be set free into the life-giving life that you have called us to live. And I pray, Lord God, as all this stuff is going on in the world, I pray, Lord God, for the peace of Jesus to come into these places, into these families, into the bereaved, into um, countries that um, this is going to have significant effects on. I pray, Lord God, for, our, um, uh, for the people in leadership. Um, I pray, Lord God, for wisdom. I pray, Lord God, for courage. I pray, Lord God, for strength in these situations. Holy Spirit, wash through this nation and the nations and bring a peace that is incomparable to any other comfort or peace that is from man. Lord God, we want you to be reigning and ruling in these places. And as we um, open up the whole area of eldership and leadership this morning, I pray, Lord God, you'll come to us as we hear this, as we receive this, your word. I pray, Lord God, be our teacher this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so, first, so, so the first thing that I'm going to really look at, really, which overarches everything, it's really a theological point, uh, and really that is what is new covenant relationship, uh, um, what is new covenant leadership? How is it different from the old covenant? Because actually, this is an underpinning of everything. So the new covenant, which Jesus ushered in and spoke about at his last meal with his uh, disciples, that's what we've been remembering as we've been breaking bread and as they broke together. That, that's, that meal, that, that, the things that Jesus said and the new covenant that he ushered in, it changed everything. It brought a huge paradigm shift 
the life and death and resurrection of Jesus brought with it a newer, deeper understanding of what the Old Testament promises uh, of God to great people like Abraham, to David, to the prophets, to Israel, to the people of God mean for us today. Uh, and one of the biggest shifts, if you like, uh, was the whole leadership structure of the temple, which had, in many ways, as you read the Gospels, had become corrupted by the Jewish hierarchy of the days, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees. And as we read the Gospels, we see Jesus had lots of high emotion, scary sometimes, strong-worded confrontations with these Pharisee guys and other leaders within the religious establishment on a regular basis. He spoke more highly of sinners than he did of those guys. But in Matthew 27, as you kind of work through the Gospels and Jesus dying there on the cross and taking hell into his soul and bringing a liberation and a restoration, that's what happened on the cross. As Jesus breathed his last, they all changed. And it says in Matthew 27, 51, it says, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. You know what? That statement is a phenomenal statement. It is basically saying through the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross, everything was changing in terms of what we might call religion. A way has now been opened through Jesus Christ for all people <clears throat> to come to God without having to go through priestly people anymore and structures and rules and regulations that had gone before. Jesus had released his people into the new covenant, a better covenant, a better age, and his spirit was now freely available as um, the apostle Peter shouted out on the day of Pentecost. His Holy Spirit was available to all people who trusted him and his life-giving work on the cross. If you're not a Christian here this morning, that could be you if you put your trust in Jesus. An amazing moment in church history, actually. You see, you see, we now believe in the priesthood, what the Bible calls the priesthood of all believers. And so no longer are we to build structures um, where we have separate classes of people with white collars, the clergy, the priests, the ministers, the pastors even. That ripping curtain moment was the end of the concept of the priest and lay people divide. It was the end of special buildings, special altars, special rituals. Those were not the ways to come to God anymore. Phenomenal. And so this miraculous moment um, redefined leadership in the church, if you like, as requiring a whole reorganization, a new reorganization, calling for eldership, a gift to the church, a function to help all of God's people, the saints, the priesthood, you and me, you lot, to accomplish what God has called you, the church, to accomplish. Eldership was now the, the biblical way of setting government in New Testament churches and releasing spirit-filled believers, you and me, to change the world. And as I see it theologically, therefore, there is no reason from now until when Jesus comes back for going back 
into old covenant ways of thinking. The curtain of the temple jubilee is now fully torn from top to bottom. We live in the reality of new covenant leadership and eldership. So churches are led by God-chosen, God's chosen, gifted people called elders. The second thing, we've got a few more than three points, by the way, um, but they're much shorter than usual. The second thing to say before we get into the nitty-gritty of eldership is that churches are led by teams of elders, what we often talk about as plurality of eldership. Um, This is also throughout the New Testament when you read it. The plurality of eldership is something that God requires in the church to guard guard us and individual leaders uh, and God's people from ourselves and against others. This team concept of eldership, if you like, uh, is, 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 is to bring about the accumulation of God's wisdom, of a sensitivity to what God is saying, of protection, of faith, of passion within a team of people who uh, sharpen each other like iron. As we bring different personalities together, different spiritual gift mixes, different characters, me, Sarushan, Simon, and this eldership team, we complement one another. They fill in a lot of my weaknesses. Much more effective, much more efficient. A lot more gets done. I love being part of this team. Um, of elders. We often laugh at how differently God has put us together, especially me. We often joke about how rubbish we are at some, uh, at some things, particularly me, um, but particularly me at administration. It's our gift, isn't it, Zerush? Simon, however, has this, what I can only describe as some supernatural ability, because it clearly is not normal. Just kidding with big helps from Jackie and other people in the office, of pulling off the pictures that start in our head and planting them into reality. I remember Jeremy prophesying, actually, over me and Simon, that we would be like two rowers in a boat, very different, but together, making more ground than we would just do as the sum of our parts together. This team approach is not just about function, though. What I love about... Um, what I love about us is we're friends together as well. And not just guys, but our families are friends together. I love the picture the Bible paints of King David's friendship with Jonathan. Um, one, of, one of mutual delight and love and care and excitement about being with one another. In 1 Samuel 18:1, it says, speaking of Jonathan to David, an immediate bond was forged between them. He became totally committed to David. From that point on, he would be David's number one advocate and friend. 1 Samuel 23, 16 says, Jonathan, Saul's son, visited David at Horesh and encouraged him, not just with wise words or uh, a pat on the back, but encouraged him in God. Beautiful, very different from leadership models in business and other settings today full of rivalry and often gossip and unfaithfulness and competitiveness and self-centeredness. Jubilee, our eldership team is an open book. We're vulnerable. We're learning. We're growing together. God is molding us, often through mistakes, 
uh, and, and the church. God is molding us and the church at the same time. Elders lead the church in team. Plurality of eldership is very important. So what about, the, so what about this team of elders? What do they look like? Firstly, and probably most controversially, elders in the Bible as we see it are men. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not talking about leadership in the church. I thank God in this church for gifted men and women who have led and who continue to lead different ministries and roles in the church. I thank God for the many men and women who lead outside the church, bringing Jesus' joy news in all sorts of areas of life, in business, in health, in finance, in social action. We need, we need more gifted men and women to take charge. This is not about leadership that I'm talking about. It's about eldership. Male eldership, you see, in the Bible is not about inequality. Were you trying to throw a tomato at me? I don't Male eldership, she just, she's just so shocked that I said that. She just, everything. Male eldership, you see, in the Bible is not about inequality as the strong pull of culture would like to divide and ridicule the church in our day would. But rather, it's about God's beautiful, creative order in life. In the Bible, men and women are created. It presses this continuously, equally, in dignity and honor and love before God. That's so obvious as you read the Bible. The grace of God to men and women is equally amazing. Men and women were both created in God's image. You know what? One part of God's image can't be better than the other. Yet the Bible is also clear that men and women have different roles and functions, beautiful roles and functions. There's a beautiful divine creative order that God deliberately works out in humanity for the good of everyone. Men are meant to be fathers. Men are meant to be husbands. And so in the role of eldership, in the Bible, and so is the, and so is the role of eldership in the Bible. Um, is, it's deliberately seen as a man's role. I can't read it any other way. A fathering role, actually. A, role, a, a sacrificial, loving headship in the family of God. And under that umbrella of healthy, fathering, nurturing, male eldership, all are to flourish. All are to grow in God. All are to serve God. Men, women, children, different races, different ages, different backgrounds, under God's government order, are to be released into the adventures of God that God has put in this church. Jubilee, don't confuse, as the world often does, um, equality with God's beautiful, creative, wonderful diversity. If you're a man or a woman in this church, we want you to thrive under the fathering, protecting, nurturing, caring umbrella of eldership. Do you see that? Over the years, New Frontiers have had a lot of jip for this. But I think that primarily comes for sometimes unhealthy communication by people over the years, but also not going deeper into the Bible and understanding what it's truly about. 
So what does this team, so what else does this team of elders look like? Well, secondly, they're meant to be men of good character. Really? The Greek word for elder, presbuteros, comes from the old synagogue background, actually, describing maturity. This is by far the most important thing. The Bible makes that crystal clear time and time again. Titus 1, 5 to 9 is an example of that. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an, ob- since an overseer, uh, manages, since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable. See the detail. One who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message um, as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. That's what the Apostle Paul talks about. Character, maturity is essential. And by that, by that word maturity, I don't mean they need to be old. I think there's naturally an age dimension to maturity. But by character, we're talking about our walk with Jesus and how that is shaping our lives and the lives of others. John Groves, uh, a Bible, one of our New Frontiers Bibles, uh, teachers said, defines maturity as learning by experience to put faith and truth into practice. I think you were at that seminar some years ago. I remember. Is God the Holy Spirit working in us? Are we seeing the fruits of our holiness expert, God the Holy Spirit, growing in us? Are we seeing evidence of honesty, teachability? This is when we're thinking about new eldership as well. Teachability, a willingness to submit to one another, humility, reliability, emotional stability, sexual integrity, generosity, a confidence growing and maturing. We're not talking about perfection. Clearly, we're not perfect. But we are talking about a life that we, that we can increasingly say to you, imitate me. Look at my life. Look at my family. I'm asking, what I'm asking of you, I'm not asking of my own self. Leslie Newbigin writes this, leadership of a congregation and its mission to the world will be first and foremost in the area of his or her own discipleship, in that in that life of prayer and daily consecration which remains hidden from the world but which is the place where the essential battles are either lost and won. I love that quote. Thirdly, elders also need to be able to lead the church. There needs to be a robustness and a discerning and emotional strength to take on the trials and battles of this missional family. The other word describing elder in scripture is actually overseer, um, episkopos. Elders need to be able to see the big picture. They need to be able to handle, understand, and bring to life the word of God. Not necessarily in preaching, but definitely in life, their life, and in the life of, the, of others. John Calvin wrote this, in, if ministers wish to do any good at all, let them labor to form Christ not to form themselves in their hearers. It's 
Very important. We see, we see in elders a passion and a commitment to Jesus in his church. There's a willingness to lead. There's a burden they carry in their spirit to see Jesus' church thrive and grow. There's a deep sense of the call of God to bring about his purposes through their life. Elders aren't just yes men. That's what I love about our different teams. Elders are not just yes men wanting to please the crowd. Often they will. Often, praise God, they will. But often they will have to face confrontation um, and disagreement. Sometimes to lead people through uncomfortable change. They have to bring the church through setbacks and, and disappointments. That's what eldership is about. And what holds them fast to the call of God, to the prophetic path of God, is their walk with God, their closeness to God, men of faith and maturity, learning to, through experience to put the truth of God into practice. Overseers. Elders should be men of good character. They should embody a sense of calling uh, to be able to lead. Elders also need to love people. I think this is something that is often put aside in our management business style, big mega church culture. The title of our John Piper's leadership book, Brothers, We Are Not Professionals, says it all. The Bible describes elders as shepherds, poimen, nurturing, feeding, protecting the flock. Um, Franco De, uh, Frank Demesio uh, writes this, the heart of the shepherd is the closest thing to the heart of God. How an elder is hospitable and loving and deeply sociable often sets the tone of the church. P.J. Smythe, uh, again, who leads Advance, says this, if the private homes of the leaders are open and welcoming, then the public home of the church will be likewise. It's challenging. Sarush and Marvash, Simon and Jody are excellent at this. A lot of you are. As I said, we've just literally moved into a house. And over the last few months, particularly God, uh, particularly God has really provoked us into making this place that, people, that brings people together, that welcomes people of all backgrounds, that serves us um, and the church in reaching out, raising leaders, building community, serving others. I love this about Paul and Jill's house, actually, uh, and Angela and Jonathan's house, and the Winstone's house, and others of you. Opening our homes and our lives and our worlds to others is such an important part of eldership. Yes, there needs to be some boundaries, particularly where we have kids, especially uh, to keep our marriages strong. No, we can't just be best buddies with everyone everywhere, but elders need to embody, need to have a deep sense of love and compassion for people and shepherd the church. It's essential. So elders, uh, need to, uh, elders need to be before they do. And some of those things are what an elder needs to be. Increasingly, as God molds them and shapes them, call, character, competency, competency and uh, chemistry, if you like. So what do elders actually do? That's a very good question. Well, essentially, we bring in lots of different ways. 
We bring Jesus' leadership and headship and authority into the church. Did you hear that? Jesus, Jubilee, leads this church. Who leads this church? Who leads this church? That's not a throwaway comment. It's very easy to say things like that, isn't it? He absolutely, unequivocally, wonderfully does. Thank him, thank God. We as elders serve him under his authority to do what he calls us to do, what he wants. Listen, I don't lead this church as lead elder of this church um, since um, Paul handed over um, is, 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 is not so much about me or these guys serving me to lead in my ministry. Rather, I am serving Jesus' church and letting his will be worked out through serving this team of elders. Do you hear that? So what do elders do? Briefly, five things to end with. Firstly, the elders set and embody the vision of the church. Vision, what's that? So, and, and by vision, I mean biblical vision. Well, put simply, a biblical understanding of vision is God's revelation to us. It's not just about good ideas. It's not just about what we, we want to become. But as Bill Hybels puts it, a guy who leads a big church out in America, a beautiful picture of God's future that inspires passion, vision. In history, when God's view of things and not ours has been the starting point, then we have seen great movements of God, haven't we? When Dr. Martin Luther King stood on the steps of Lincoln Memorial in 1963 and painted a picture of a world without prejudice and hatred and racism, and he said, I have a dream that my four children will one day live in a nation where they are not judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted, every hill and mountain shall be made low, the rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. It sounds a little bit like Isaiah 61, doesn't it? Things happened. God, this is godly vision. Jubilee, we have a God-given vision going way back to 1998 of a beautiful picture of God's jubilee plan to bring about restoration, community, healing, sight, release to Teesside, this nation and the nations. Can I encourage you today? Can I encourage you today, as we've just heard um, from um, Rob, to really support these guys? We do want to see South Bank... Um, 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 South Bank be reached by the gospel of Jesus. Jesus makes a difference in the communities. So will you be able to say to these guys, not just hear them and think, that's very nice. Yes, count me in. This is my name. I'll be there. Will you? Jubilee, our, our Isaiah 61 vision, receiving Jesus and the joy news he brings into our lives and our worlds, especially the poor, the stranger, the orphan and the widow reaching out to the lost and, uh, and the drifting in places that God sets us in the middle of, restoring the power uh, of an Acts 2 vision of community that changes the world, releasing everyone into the wonderful walk of faith 
that God has called us to. These are the things that we as elders want, to, or, uh, want all the living stones of this house to be soaked in, to be drenched in, to be dunked in. As Sarush often says, uh, we are ambassadors of Jesus. Will you keep taking that privilege that God has called you to seriously? Will you continue to be a people of faith even when it seems uncertain, even when you don't always agree, even when there are setbacks and problems, because let me tell you, there will be. Will you be like Abraham, as the writer of Hebrews tells us, um, um, was willing to live in tents, if those of you are going camping in, Bright, um, in uh, Newark, uh, uh, this summer you'll understand, Living in te- uh, Abraham lived in tents as he looked to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Jubilee, as Proverbs 29, 18 says, without vision, the people perish. This is what we as elders will be keep banging on about until we die or Jesus returns. And there is no apology for that, no apology in our continued request, please to you to give faithfully, generously, to serve diligently, passionately, to sacrifice greatly, to forgive continuously, to love inexpressibly, like a lot of you do already. Elders set and embody the vision of Jesus' church. Secondly, elders pray. This should go without saying, really. Faith is what gets us through. Hearing God is what gets us through. Trusting Jesus, waiting on him, hearing him, not moving ahead of him, slowing down sometimes. That's what caught people's attention often when, with Jesus. He spent hours and days sometimes praying. Where's he gone now? We've got things to do, Romans to destroy, Pharisees to kick. We're busy. Jubilee, we're busy. We're too busy not to pray. Isaiah 62, 67 says, You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest, and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem, the kingdom plans of God, and makes her the prayers of all the earth. As elders, we, wanna, we want the community of God to get more and more caught up in our prayer lives together. Come on Wednesday mornings at 7 o'clock at Melbourne. Get together to pray with each other without being told to do so or organize something organized. Whatever parts of the church you serve in, pray in those groups. Make our church-wide community prayer nights, as uh, we heard in the notices, a real priority. This is our corporate prayer time. Keep your personal prayer life strong. Pray as a family. Teach your kids to pray. He's beautiful, isn't he? He wants to know you more and more. He wants so much from you and with you. What are you waiting for? Elders declare vision. Elders pray. Thirdly, we guard. Elders guard. That's actually one of, one of our main shepherding roles. We had a conversation. I won't tell you what about, but we had a conversation this morning at the start of this meeting about guarding. Acts 20, 28, uh, that we just read, said, Elders, keep watch, of your, uh, keep watch of yourselves and all the flock to which the Holy Spirit has made you overseas. And then later on, we didn't read, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away 
um, a draw where it says dices, so it must have been um, a spell check. Draw where something after them. So be on your guard. As elders, we get together regularly asking questions of each other, going deeper, being accountable to one another, praying for one another, guarding ourselves. We receive men and women like Jeremy Simpkins and Dave Campbell and Don Smith and Ginny and Mikhail to provoke us, to stir us, be real and open and vulnerable with us. Guarding involves guarding ourselves. Guarding involves guarding Jesus' flock, guarding the truth. Theology matters, especially in times of transition. Part of our loving role of fathers is to often bring truth and discipline, pointing people to Jesus. That is often countercultural and sometimes lovingly, lovingly confrontational. That's what we do as elders, as, elders, as fathers. Elders declare vision, elders pray, elders guard the church. Fourthly, elders guide. Over the last decade of leadership, I've come to realize that sheep are all over the place. Sheep are all over the place. You lot. Bah! And me. In the insightful words of uh, the famous theologian King Julian from the kids' film Madagascar, he says, People, you're all freaks, but I love you. I was going to say, people, you're all crazy, but I love you. But Charlotte corrected me this morning. That wasn't what he says. <laughs> That's just a joke. As elders, we oversee. We see the bigger picture of the church. We try as best we can to bring the differing gifts, the differing characters, the differing passions, the differing life stories, the differing personalities, differing hearths, differing paths, God's people together facing the same way. We prize them away sometimes from the stuff that doesn't matter now. Through the truth of God, through prophetic revelation, through God's gifting, through the Holy Spirit, we bring a sense of destiny and direction and adventure. Elders are the vision bearers, the, pa the pace setters, the compass carriers of God, feeding from Jesus. Elders declare vision. Elders, we pray. Elders, we guard. Elders, we guide. Finally, um, finally, fifthly and finally, elders govern. The band could come up. That would be good. Elders govern. <coughs> govern means directing the church affairs. Uh, by, by, means directing the affairs of the church through preaching and teaching, through discipleship, through setting pace and vision, through appointing other leaders, through mapping out strategy, through discipline, through prayer, uh, through all sorts of things we've chatted about so far. Elders bring about kingdom government, Jesus' rule and reign and order in the church. And what we ask, and what we ask, what the Bible exhorts you to, Jubilee, what the Apostle Paul urges the church of God to do, totally against the tide of independence and individualism and blame culture and a me, me, me society today is to submit, submit to God-given fatherly, sacrificial headship and the authority of God through appointed elders. See Hebrews 13? It says, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. To keep, they keep watch over you as men who must give account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. 
for that would be no advantage to you. Pray for us. You see, people of today don't like that, probably because it's been abused in different settings over the years through the church of God. But the submission here that the, writers is, that the writer is talking about is nothing but a beautiful one. Not like a boss or a dictator, but rather about a loving, sacrificial um, husband to his wife, like the doting, excited uh, father to his children. That's how it works. Open, vulnerable, eye-popping, sometimes controversial, but beautiful. Jubilee, thank you from the bottom of my heart for 16 years of friendship, encouragement, and I really mean this, to us and, and the family. Uh, encouragement, appreciation, support, and challenge. I want to thank the elders um, and families now and gone before for their sharpening, for their teaching and coaching over the years. I love Charlotte and our family for keeping me straight and working this through together. I want to thank all of you who serve the purposes of God in this church with unwavering zeal and passion. I want to thank Jesus for a great church and the privilege and responsibility of us as elders together of taking us forward into receiving him, releasing everyone, reaching out and restoring kingdom community everywhere he directs us. Whoa. What a job description. What a call. Jubilee, Jesus is our sacrificial king, our high priest, our great prophet. And you know what? He leads the way. Will you keep following him? Let's stand. Thank you. We're going to take the collection now uh, as we sing our lost, last song, lost song, as we sing our last song and worship. I've never spoken about that before, and it's a slightly different preach to the normal kind of sermon I, wrote, I, I, I normally give. And also without books and everything, I've had to resort going to the Bible for answers. Just kidding, if you're a visitor. <laughs> Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus. For this church. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the nurturing, encouraging, uh, uh, passionate people that we have in this church. I pray, Lord God, for more and more people to come into this fruitful soil and grow into leadership, into eldership. I pray for, Lord God, for more and women and men and younger people and old and young taking their stand. And I pray, Lord God, for us as elders, this eldership and the future eldership to come, to our families, Lord God, that we can nurture and follow you and be true to your gospel and guard ourselves and guard the church in the, in the, in the journey ahead. Come, Holy Spirit, fill us afresh. Come, Holy Spirit, pour out your, your love and direction and vision. We want to be a people who love you and follow you Jesus our King, more and more. Let's worship. <laughs>